The day you stop learning is the day you're no longer relevant to your biggest asset, which I believe is your portfolio of relationships. So how do you keep learning and growing in your journey? Here are five foundational must-see-do-become in your efforts to hashtag never stop growing in today's podcast. Hi there, this is David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. I am excited to share insights with you at the intersection of future of work and strategic relationships. Make no mistake about it, in the next two decades, there are a lot of forces that are going to change the way we live, work, play, and serve others. And there are relationships that are going to come in our lives that dramatically change our growth trajectory both in its direction and destination. So in each episode, I want to share with you some insights, great ideas from guests I'm going to invite to join us, and practical, pragmatic ideas hopefully you can think about and you can put to work in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Curvebenders Podcast. I'm David Knorr, and if you don't know anything about my background or my work, over the past two decades, I've spent my life really being a student of business relationships. And this idea that relationships should be intentional, they have to be more strategic, and ideally, they become quantifiable. In my first book, Relationship Economics, I talked about that idea of how to turn everyday contacts into incredibly powerful, incredibly capable business relationships. In Return on Impact, my next book, I talked about digital relationships. In Co-Create, I talked about how to turn those business relationships into opportunities to innovate, if not disrupt. In Curvebenders, I'm working on this intersection of future of work and your strategic relationships. That's what I want to talk about today, which is how to focus on this foundational need, in essence, to focus your personal and professional journey on learning and growing, why it's so critical, why it means so much to all that we're going to talk about moving forward. So here we go with hashtag never stop growing. Three, two, one, zero, ignition. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneurs on Fire, the award-winning podcast for busy people who want to ignite. I grew my business to more than $15 million with podcasting, and now you can too. Visit oxbus.com to get started with the fastest, easiest way to build your business using the power of your voice. No audio experience necessary. That's oxbus.com. A-U-X-B-U-S dot com and start for free today. So let me give you the five foundational must see, do, and become in your personal professional growth journey. Number one, become naturally inquisitive. I'm going to go through all five, then we'll dive into each of them a little deeper. Number two, read and hypothesize. Number three, insert yourself in growth relationship ecosystems. Number four, test an idea prototype. Number five, learn, adapt, and co-create. 
very quickly again. Number one, become naturally inquisitive. Number two, read and hypothesize. Three, insert yourself in growth relationship ecosystems. Four, test an idea prototype. Five, learn, adapt, and co-create. So let me start with the first one. Become naturally inquisitive. Do you remember being kids? Right? Weren't we naturally curious about how things worked and why the sky was blue? And I'm pretty much convinced we all pestered our family and our parents and siblings asking all kinds of questions about how and why. Right? By the time we start school, that sense of wonder absolutely starts to escape us, if not fade. And what's really critical in your future of work if you want to continue to remain relevant, which is really what I want for you, is you got to really think about listening more without judgment. Listen, most of us size up and make assumptions as we listen to others in any kind of conversation, right? Curious people, naturally curious people, on the other hand, have no hidden agenda, right? They seek to really understand the perspective, the unique lens that others are bringing to the table. They're willing to sit in this unknown, uh, I would say ambiguous, very open, very curious environment without being invested in the outcome, without being, oh, I already know where you're going, so let me just extrapolate it for there, right? So you have to listen much more intently, I'd say in many ways, listen louder without judgment. Number two, you have to ask a lot of questions. Curious people never just say, okay, thanks, great, see ya. (laughs) They're curious and they ask questions and their question starts with, well, help me understand how that happens or tell me more about that or when and where and why, right? So you stay away from questions that are, you know, close-ended, right? Does this work? Yes, it does. Thanks very much. Okay, where are we going to go for that? From that. They, They create this open environment for discussion and dialogue, and they they dig in to really understand, not just accept something for its face value. Um, curious people, in my experience, uh, seek we seek you know surprises. Um, I have to be honest, a lot of us, I think I'm definitely one of those, have this love-hate relationship with surprises, right? By the way, uh, great resource, Tanya Luna is the co-author of Surprise, Embrace the Unpredictable, and Engineered the Unexpected. Great book. And she talks a lot about when we have too much surprise, we experience this anxiety, this this massive angst that takes over. Oh, which one of these 37 uh, flavors of toothpaste did my wife want me to pick up at the grocery store, right? When we don't have enough, we get bored and we disengage. So if you get to a place where you're comfortable uh, when things are certain, um, you're going to feel a lot more alive when they're not. And make no mistake about it, the future of work, if you think the last 10 years have been disruptive, wait till you see what's in store in the next decade or two. And there'll be a lot of surprises coming your way. Next idea on this one is, is you've got to be present. Uh, a good friend, Jennifer Bridges, uh, years ago introduced me to, to a place here in Atlanta called Center for Inner Knowing. And, and one of the things that Apple, the woman that led it, often talked about is uh, stop multitasking. Stop with all the distractions. Be centered. Be focused in a singular task. So, uh, you know, you can't be cooking dinner while you're talking to family, right? 
if you're multitasking and there's a there's a there's a massive myth that you can get more done with multitasking ton of research shows that each time you try to come back to a task you you got to refocus and 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 that singular focus is critical in your ability to learn so curiosity often means being instilled intentionally it comes from intentional pauses and that stillness brings enormous benefit to your sense of curiosity. Um, the other one, yeah, I think I'm number six on this one, you got to make time for curiosity. So I often ask leaders, how much time do you set aside a day or in a week or in a month to just sit and think? I would submit to you, we don't make enough time to think and think through scenarios and think about the future and question a whole bunch of assumptions we make every day. Right, so you know. Again, I often do this in my coaching. We all make to-do lists. Very few people make, you know, stop doing lists. Right. So, do you make time? You have to find make you know make time for curiosity. You have to make time for um, really that opportunity to explore. And by the way, incredibly curious people also aren't afraid to say, "I don't know." Right. For so long, I think so many of us have been paid to have the right answers. I'm trying to tell you the market is so dynamic, moves so quickly that you can't possibly have all the answers. You can't possibly know it all. So curious people are always seeking new knowledge through those conversations. And when you ask the question, they're not afraid to admit that, hey, I don't have the answer. So uh, really thinking through um, what can I learn if I explore Versus, let me just prove, and again, a good friend, mentor, Marshall Goldsmith talks about this. We spend way too many cycles trying to prove how smart we are versus what can I learn from discussions with others? Last but not least in this idea, in this first idea of becoming naturally inquisitive is, you know, curious people don't let past hurts, past failures, past missteps affect their future. So if you think about it a second, our, our minds, our brains really have two parts. One that has new experiences, one that understands those experiences and, and puts them away as knowledge. And again, another great resource, David Clow, K-L-O-W, is founder of Skylight Counseling Center in Chicago. And, and he talks a lot about the two um, parts of your brain really can't effectively function without the other. So a lot of adults... Um, they stop being curious about new experiences and instead just focus on understanding what they've already been through, right? I tried that last time. Have you ever been in a meeting where somebody says, well, we tried that 20 years ago and it didn't work? It's that part of their brain that's completely taken over versus what could be possible. So this is really true if you've been hurt in the past, if you've failed, if you've financially failed, if you've been fired, if you took a risk and it backfired, right? We have a tendency to go to that side. Ooh, I tried that. It didn't work. Versus curious people who develop a really strong base and are a lot more apt to take prudent risk and try new ideas, try new experiences. So we're talking about the five foundational must see, do, become. Number one was become naturally inquisitive. Number two is read and hypothesize. I, I'm, I'm a constant reminder of what dad drove into me, that leaders are readers and readers are leaders. 
So number one, you have to read. And you have to read a lot of different things. And some of my favorite books, like Lords of Strategy, like Power Questions, um, like Marshall Goldsmith's book, What God You Hear Won't Get You There, I've read multiple times. And it's amazing of the new insights you pick up when you read a, a really good book the second or third time. But you have to read. And I read a lot of different things, often three, four books at a time. And what I want you to do is not just read, but read proactively. I get bored. If I'm not earmarking the pages and marking the pages and writing in the margins and summarizing at the end of the chapter, what did I take away? That's not proactive reading for me. I need to proactively read for it to really resonate. Much more importantly, as I read, I'm thinking, what is the author saying? And this is, by the way, what I want people to do with they read my stuff. What is the author saying? What does he or she mean? And what does it mean to me? And that mean to me part, what, what, how does it impact me? How does it reflect in my world? Is really the foundation to hypothesize. Now, I'm going to take you back to your probably high school science class. If you remember, a hypothesis is a, is a proposed, according to web, uh, uh, Wikipedia, a proposed explanation for a phenomenon. So for a hypothesis to really be a scientific hypothesis, right? And it requires the scientific method that says you got to test it. And scientists generally base scientific hypothesis on previous observations that can't really satisfy, it can't be explained without scientific theories. All of that to say, you read something, you formulate a hypothesis. What if I did this? I wonder if this model would work. Can I use what I just read in trying to solve a problem that I'm faced with or a challenge or an opportunity? The second step is you've got to go collect data. A hypothesis with your gut feel might as well be a dream, pipe dream often. But you've got to go collect data. And again, it's been proven that you know, the really astute entrepreneurs do this really well. They hypothesis, uh, uh, hypothesize on here's a problem in the market for this type of a buyer, and here's a potential solution. Now, you know what? I'm going to go test it. And by the way, here's what they would be willing to pay for it. And what they do is then they go out and talk to not their mother-in-law because that's not the buyer, not all their friends and neighbors. Those are not your buyers. They go talk to buyers prospective buyers and say, A, are you having this problem? B, what are you doing about it? C, what if you had a solution that did that? Just addressed it. And, and last but not least, what would be the value of that to you? What would you be willing to pay for it? And they gather to collect data, critical. Then they come back and analyze the data to test the hypothesis. I spoke to 20 people, right? Eight of them were not having that problem. Twelve were. And you know what? They already have a solution for it. So me asking you to join the third gym, right? When you're not using the first gym you belong to, is probably not a smart membership model. And if you don't figure out the business model, the economic model, it is not going to be sustainable. So they analyze the data to test the hypothesis, and only then they draw a conclusion. One of my favorite approaches to this is business model generation. Alex Osterwalder and Yves Penor are two Swiss professors who have written a book, Business Model Generation, fantastic book, that years ago, I've been using it in my consulting work for the past 10 years. They're huge in you not just building a business model, but go test 
the key aspects of it. Go test different ideas. And by the way, do not move to the next phase till you test this one. Because if your target audience isn't resonate, the value proposition you created isn't resonating with them, and they're not willing to pay for that, you're barking up the wrong tree. So we're talking about the five foundational must-see, do, become. Number one was become naturally inquisitive. Number two, read and hypothesize. Number three, insert yourself in growth relationship ecosystems. I don't know of a company that doesn't need or an organization that doesn't need fresh new ideas. Just like I don't know individuals who don't need fresh new relationships. Make no mistake about it. This isn't about collecting a whole bunch of business cards or a whole bunch of LinkedIn contacts. This is about refreshing your portfolio of relationships with new ideas, new perspectives, new diverse insights on a regular basis. So if you think about any business relationship ecosystem, there are handful of dimensions, eight to be exact, that you got to think about. Number one is the strategy. What's the strategy of your relationship ecosystem? And let me give you an example. When I say relationship ecosystem, put yourself in environments where you're going to meet and engage other really interesting people. Um, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that I know belong to YPO, Young Presidents Organization. Um, I, I, I'm fascinated by people who attend Renaissance Weekend or Aspen Institute events or I recently found out about Summit LA, or the Business Innovation Factory. By the way, uh, Sal uh, is gonna, the founder is gonna be one of my guests in an upcoming podcast. So when you immerse yourself, insert yourself, I, I'm, I'm, I'm elated, I'm proud to be part of the Marshall Goldsmith MG100 group. It's 100 global coaches that Marshall Goldsmith has taken us under his wings and teaching us how he does what he does. And every time I walk in the room with these people, it's an amazing gathering. So when you insert yourself in these growth relationship ecosystems, that's what I call them, stone, iron sharpens iron, right? So strategy, they've got to be focused on the same direction you're going on. Uh, Degree of openness, If it's a whole bunch of people that are out to impress each other, you're just not going to learn a lot. So you want to go in an environment where there's a level of respectful candor and openness and people willing to participate and and give as much as they take. You want diversity. You want a very diverse group of participants in the room. Uh, One of the biggest challenges with surrounding yourself with people that are just like you is this halo effect where everybody thinks the exact same way, and that is dangerous. So you got to surround yourself with diverse participants, ethnic, gender, uh, diversity of thought, right? Next one, types of relationships. Uh, if, you, if there's all business, uh, it's going to get pretty boring pretty quickly. You, you need philanthropic. You need civic. You need nonprofit. You need educational. You need, dare I say, political because that also builds in that diversity, but they're different relationship types. Think of these as buckets, and they're fantastic opportunities to get a very different lens and have very different conversations. Art isn't part of my daily work, but art of all kind fascinates me I, because I, you know, I'm in awe of what musicians and painters and sculptors are capable of, Right? Next, forms of value exchange. It cannot only be financial. 
So you got to find other ways to create value exchange, right? That's how you gain information. That's how you build your repute. That's how you exchange services. But it's got to be other non-monetary forms of value, right? So a, a really interesting example I found was Boeing collaborated with 50 vendors to create the 777 aircraft, right? That ecosystem enables the company to exchange products and services for information and analytics, so it's really important to understand the changing definition of value that that ecosystem also creates. You've got to figure out what's of value to others before you offer it. Diversity of industries. One of the challenges I continue to see with large uh, organizational leaders that I work with is that they're so focused on their space. Listen, we're in the elevator business. We're in the manufacturing business. We're just in pharma or I'm just in government IT. And I'm a huge believer of you got to find opportunities to extend and expand your purview above and beyond your industry. Because only when you do that will you get a fresh lens, will you get a different perspective. I also like, believe it or not, there's value in complexity of of different relationship ecosystems. Think about it. There's going to be some overlap. Have you been to very different events and ran into some of the same people? And you're like, what are you doing here? I was at healthcare this morning, and this one is not manufacturing, and you're in the same thing, right? So those are examples of of complex uh, and multiple ecosystems where you're going to have repetition. Uh, You're going to have some overlaps. You're going to have some uh, knowledge constraints. They're only focused on a geography or one sector of of manufacturing, for example. So, again, you've got to find – I'm going to keep going back to diversity – of thought and relationships and geographies. I love to um, attend um, events by organizations or associations I belong to in different cities. So uh, I'm active in the Association for Corporate Growth. ACG is all the mergers and acquisition types. And and the Atlanta chapter where I live is very different than the Boston chapter. Uh, I've been to the Toronto chapter. I've been to the LA chapter meetings. So when I travel, I just look at these calendars, and if there's any of their meetings when I'm there, instead of going back and sitting in my hotel room, I'm going to go to their local meetings. And they often welcome you with open arms. And they're surprised when they see your business card, and it says, Atlanta, what are you doing here? But it gives you a very different geographic lens. Last but not least, technologies. You've got it with the, with the advent of technology. We're going to talk about a lot of the changes, technological changes in this fourth industrial revolution that's going to be future of our work. You want to be in growth relationship ecosystems that use very different technologies. So those are just eight dimensions of uh, relationship ecosystems. Again, strategy, openness, participants, relationships, value exchange, diversity of industries, complexity, and technologies that are used. We've been talking about the five foundational must-see-do-become to never stop growing. One was become naturally inquisitive. Two was read and hypothesize. Three, insert yourself in growth relationship ecosystems. Four, test an idea prototype. So earlier I said read and hypothesize. It's critical that you test an idea prototype. When we talk about prototype, a lot of people think about automatically a product, right? I'm going to go build a bicycle handlebar. I'm going to go build a new kind of cool cup of coffee. By the way, I love the um, uh, Kickstarter and I think it's Indigo uh, newsletters. 
that you get where they talk about all these cool new things that people come up with. Again, I'm in awe of their ideas. But what I love are, and we talk a lot about this in our uh, strategy visualization course that I teach, which is prototype your ideas. So here's some things to think about um, in quickly prototyping any idea. Number one, keep it simple. Keep the idea simple. Uh, Donald Miller says, if you confuse, you lose. So keep it simple. Keep the idea simple. Keep the understanding of it simple. If people have to spend a lot of cycles just to understand your idea, you're going to lose them. If, if you confuse them, if you make it too complex, you're going to lose them. Number two, don't strive for perfection. Your idea, your prototype doesn't have to be perfect. As a matter of fact, progress trumps perfection every time. And I love uh, Reid Hoffman, the LinkedIn founder's comment. If you're not embarrassed by the first version of anything you produce, anything you create, you've waited too long. You've, you've, it's been, you've waited too, you, you've become, you've launched it too late. So again, if you're not embarrassed, and for many of us, that's really difficult to swallow. Oh my God, I want it to be perfect. And I'm trying to tell you, there's no such thing, right? You, you, you're going to be 90 by the time it's perfect. You better launch now. Alan Weiss, a good mentor friend, says when you're 80% ready, go. I'm trying to tell you when you're 60% ready, move. And I'm surrounded by friends who are waiting for their ideas to be perfect. And years later, they still haven't gotten out of the gate because they're analyzing. And, the, and don't misconstrue my comment. Nothing wrong with that analysis. I said earlier, you've got to hypothesize. You've got to go collect data. You've got to analyze that data. But you cannot wait for it to be perfect. Next one, Nike ad. Just do it. Right? Build a quick prototype of idea. Here's what I'm thinking. Take it out to the market. What do you think? Take it out to your ideal either buyers or influencers and say, here's what I'm thinking. Here's something I've uncovered. What do you think? Get your idea out to the market and on the table in front of people as quickly as you can. Know your options. Have some options, right? There's nothing wrong with things you don't know. My struggle always is what don't I know I don't know. So you got to think about options. What options do I have? Where can I pivot? If the membership model doesn't work, that's a B2C, can I go B2B? Are there different market segments or different value propositions I can test and bring to the market? So you have to have options. Here's one I love. Take shortcuts. Yeah, take shortcuts. Create uh, mock-ups. Create, uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. Create a simple drawing. Create a simple graphics before you build something. As a matter of fact, right, it's, it's fine for your idea prototype to be ugly and, and have issues and, and not be elegant. And it's okay because it is just that, a prototype. So uh, if, you, if you move quickly, if you, right, don't wait for it to be perfect. If you get it on the market, it's okay that, right, I could crumble it and throw it away and come up with a fresh one. By the way, we've actually proven the less refined that idea is, the easier it is to just let go. Crumble it up and let it go. Never fall in love with your first idea because that's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's how you adapt. We've been talking about the five foundational must-see, do, become, in never stop growing. Number one, become naturally inquisitive. Two, read and hypothesize. Three, insert yourself in growth relationship ecosystem. Four, test an idea prototype. Five, from all that, learn, adapt, co-create. Learn, adapt, 
co-create? What lessons did you learn from this exercise, from this effort? We don't make enough time to think. When you go to a conference, when you go to events, when you talk to people, quickly capture, what did I learn? That was a really fascinating dinner conversation. In the, in the Uber, I was going to say in the cab, in the Uber, right? Back to your hotel room, back to your office. That was a really fascinating dinner conversation. Here are just three to five things I learned. Here's three to five questions I was asked that I really want to make sure I have better answers for. Adapt. I said this, I should have said this. I did this, here's where I would have done it better. Co-create, listen, none of us have all the answers. The days of you walking in the room, hopefully, and again, mentors driven this into me, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. The days you walking in with all the answers are over, especially in the next two decades, none of us are going to have all the answers. So co-creation is all about two or more parties coming together and genuinely co-creating something that's far beyond anything they could have done themselves, anything they could have created by themselves. None of us have all the answers. I love co-creating with clients, with colleagues, with partners. Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Here's my lens. What do you think? I'm, some people say webinars are passe. I'm still doing webinars. I'm learning with this podcast series. By the way, did you notice a new intro and outro? And I've, I've elevated kind of what we're doing and how we're doing it. So it's an opportunity for you. And, and, and I don't want anything from you. What I want for you is to never stop growing because if you build a foundation where you're constantly or naturally inquisitive, where you're reading, you're hypothesizing, you're into these growth relationship ecosystems, you're prototyping your ideas, you're constantly learning, adapting, and co-creating, that is how you remain relevant. And make no mistake about it, the biggest professional dare I say cancer, professional decay, professional uh, stagnation for all of us is to become complacent. And the only inoculation I know, the only antidote I have to that is to never stop growing. That's how you learn. That's how you adapt. That's how you grow. If you've listened to the Curvebenders podcast recently, you've heard that I'm writing the Curvebenders book. This will be book number 11 with tools and knowledge you need to create a personal and professional growth roadmap. I'm excited to share key sections with you to the first 100 participants, so go reserve your spot at norgroup.com. If you go all the way to the bottom of the page in the Get in Touch section, just say Curvebenders Insights and we'll make sure we add you to the list. I hope you enjoyed this episode on hashtag never stop growing. Uh, if you want more uh, useful tips, uh, check out the show notes. I'll add links, images, and other references there that will be useful to you. So go take a look.
I am so thankful for our listeners on the Curve Vendors Podcast. I want to keep producing content that's most beneficial to your future of work and where your strategic relationships can really help bend your curve in your growth personally, professionally. So I'd love to hear your feedback. By the way, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn for all of our latest updates. Bus.